What's up, everybody? I want to give a quick, huge shout out to Real Dads Network. If you're not hip to Real Dads Network, get hip ASAP. It's a network that's built and surrounded around encouraging dads, uplifting dads, and bringing real dads to the forefront. Uh, I know first and foremost how, how it feels to have a dad in my life and, and someone there for me. And that's what Real Dads Network's all about. And more than So for you, yeah, yeah. There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here by that I'm behind you But always got you, hinder discussion, nothing means more First one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a part take Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded Prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, I know, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, hopping down, cause feeling's not an option and dad is not a noun, not at all. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dad Is Not A Now. My name is Ishmael, changing the narrative for men of color and fatherhood and changing the narrative about the things I care about. And today, what I care about today is fatherhood and vulnerability. Um, I'm lucky and, and privileged to have my brother with me, Boyd Melson. Say what's up to the world, Boyd. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me on this call. Thank you, Ish. Thank you, Badger. Thank you, Ja. Appreciate you all. And this brother is multitasking, so he's driving and being a part of the interview at the same time. That's how amazing this brother is. Like, he's just an amazing multitasker. <laughs> it's so silly. <laughs> and my special guest is the one and only. This, he's a father first, but he's an author, a director. This brother is just doing amazing things. And I'm privileged and honored to have him on. Deshaun Morris, thank you for coming on, brother. How you doing, brother? I'm good. All is well. Appreciate you having me on and get me, you know, talk a little bit, man, and let's see what we can we can take from this. Dope, man. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out here because I say this to all my guests that jumped on. Boy knows already too. How's your heart, brother? Um healthy. Um, still a little bitter about some things in life, but it's, it's pumping. So it's doing, it's good. That's good, brother. That's good. To, and we, we have a kinship, um, cause we're both from born and raised. Uh, I'm from the brick city. You're from the brick city. And a lot of people don't know that going back in the days, the way I learned from your about your story was back in 2011 from that documentary series on um, Sundance called Brick City. If no one ever seen that, if it's on YouTube, you got to check it out. It's one of the most powerful, like real life, like like stories that's out there. So, uh, quick question: Talk about that. Let's go to the past a little bit. Like, talk about that experience on being on Brick City. Well, um, 
it was honestly uh it was created through I, i'm the one that brought the show to newark i um i had came home from prison in 05 and um there was a there was a hbo special out called banging in little rock and uh me and a bunch of the homies was in newark and we saw it on hbo and just like most gang members man you know you, you feel the choke section is the hardest in the world so we were kind of like goofing off of those guys in terms of like they weren't as active as we was and I remember when the uh, show was over on the credits, I saw who the director and the producers were. So I just, in my mind, I jumped on the computer and I just looked them up. And that's how I was able to find who Mark Benjamin and Mark Levin was. I shot them an email and I, I would, I still to this day remember what I said to them. I was just like, you know, um, y'all the guys who made that, that show, Banging in Little Rock. I'm like, if y'all want to see some real gang banging, y'all need to come touch Nook. And that was that. Two, three weeks later, man, they sent me an email back. Wow. And that's where the dialogue began with myself and Mark Benjamin at first. And I was just telling him who I was and, you know, the influence that I, I had in my city and my coast in general. And it was a few passings of dialogue. And then uh, he asked, could he come out to the city and meet myself in my neighborhood? So, you know, we, we had a big old powwow. And he came out to know both of them, Mark Levin and Mark Benjamin. And we met and we spoke and we spoke and I kind of was just giving them a background on who we were and just the politics in Newark alone from the streets to the city hall and just a little bit of the corruption that was going on. And that just kind of developed into a relationship with myself and them. And then that's how the Brick City whole series came about. And that's so crazy too, too, because it kind of kind of linked because you had this upcoming guy that came out of nowhere that became the mayor of Newark, Cory Booker. And now he's the a senator, so kind of kind of talk about that a little bit. Well, um, when you know, I was never a fan of Cory Booker first and foremost, or Gary McCarthy, who was the police chief at the time, the director. And of course, I mean, for obvious reasons, you know, I, I was in the street. Um, but during that time, when he came about, I was more so in my transition at that point. I was in my transition into you know trying to do things for the community. In the neighborhood and just trying to kind of unlearn a lot of the garbage that we had been taught and trained to learn cory bookie cory booker was never really receptive to that mm. and all the initiatives that we had created in north the sos which was saving ourselves which at the time we had uh brother muhammad and raz baraka who's the principal at central high school at the time they were all very much involved we used to have gang meetings uh weekly at baxter terror projects with just notable figures from certain neighborhoods and these were i mean they were working in my opinion i mean it, you know there was we put together an eight point pack of of things that we should and shouldn't be doing in the neighborhood and it really did reduce a lot of the mess that was going on so when the brick city series came about they wanted an end to city hall now i didn't know booker at the time but i knew david muhammad who worked directly under Raz Baraka. And when I introduced him to David Muhammad, he then, through their relationship, was able to give Mark Levin and Benjamin access to Cory Booker. And that's mm. how the, 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 uh, the City Hall aspect came into the series. But while we were trying to continue the packs and the relationships between the different neighborhoods and stop each other from killing and the violence that was taken on, he gave us a lot of blowback from day one i mean even when we were having meetings and things like that there were a few times they come and bust it up they come you know it, it just they never quite built that not and not that we was looking for it but 
through Dave Muhammad and through Raz Baraka, who we had a gang of respect for, kind of filtered that that situation in. That, you know, if you want more resources and you want more opportunities, you want better things in the city, we're going to have to at least be able to sit at the table with law enforcement. And of course, a lot of us, you know, gave blowback on that from the beginning. But there were individuals like myself, um, uh, Marcellus Allen Bishop, uh, man, it was a few of us who were able to sit at that table and it, it just never really felt quite genuine. And, and, and that's when we kind of rejected it. I mean, even when we first sat down with them, it was more so like a control thing. I, I remember the first thing we said when they came in, we asked them, could they you know, not come in there with their guns? You know what I'm saying? Like you trying to develop relationships, man, put that to the side, bro. Like right. we, 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 we men here at the end of the day, if y'all law enforcement or not, we men at the end right. of the day. And it's like, even at the meeting, it was just, it was a little hostile. You know what I mean? The things that we were suggesting and the conversations that we were having, you it, you didn't get the feel that these people were here to figure out what was our concerns, what were the things that were plaguing us and the things that were, you know, hindering us and how could we, be, it never felt like that. It was more so wanting intel. Right. And that's what well, we immediately you. blew back. And, you know, we got up, we walked about the meeting and, it, you know, so when I was on trial in Brick City, if you remember, um, Cory Booker, uh, Gary McCarthy, they were very much involved in that trial behind scenes. They, and not to even get into too much of my case, you know what I'm right. saying? But, you know, I beat that case. You know what I mean? I, I was acquitted seven counts, not guilty. But somehow, in some way, they ended up producing two witnesses on the case. And it had nothing to do with the case. Right. Blatant goddamn lies. I mean, I was there. I know what happened. I know right. how it took place. And right. it was like they were doing everything they could to, to book me. And, and I, I believe a lot of that had to do with just because of the influence that I had in the city. Whereas I'm trying to galvanize the troops. I'm trying to get more jobs for the guys. I'm trying to get neighborhood cleanups. I'm trying to get safe passage and things like that. And we're getting immediate blowback from the city. And, you know, so we've never had a good relationship i've never respected them for that because at the end of the day regardless of how you feel about gang members they ain't going nowhere period so if you want to help reduce issues i i don't feel concede to our demands i mean gang members are still going to be gang members but if there's a if there can be some type of communication and some legitimate opportunities to help reduce crime help reduce drug dealing you know, for someone to, to to give blowback on that, um, I don't feel you have good intentions in the first place. No, and I think no, and I think, and I, I wanted to bring that up because it's important because a lot of people don't know that you were on, you were doing the good work. Big fact. And so, it's important for you know the people that's listening is that you know you got kind of, you know, like pushed to the side. You know what I'm saying? It's like. We're actually on the ground doing the work. You know, we're doing the hard work. We're lifting everything. We're bringing the game men members together to do something positive, and we're getting a blowback for it. You know what I'm saying? So that's the reason why I wanted to bring that up. And then also, I think the most important thing to realize too, to me, you know, with Corey Booker is that he kind of used that as a a, a launching pad for his future. Oh, what he's going to do what he did in the future. It definitely, it definitely was for that reason alone and so i kind of want to bring that up but also transition like from brick city i think the most powerful thing about that series is that 
you were vulnerable. You were honest. You was open. You know, you you didn't hide anything. You let people know how you were feeling, and that kind of transitioned into writing that book, the two books you wrote. Uh -huh. No, or oh, I'm, well, I'm wrong on this one. Are you are, are you talking about my first book, Water Bloods in My Veins? I'm talking about the second book. Okay, the second one. Yeah. Okay, I'm about to say the first one came prior Before. to Brick City. Yeah. yeah I'm talking one. about the second one. The second one. Yep. Yep. You're right. And so, like, talk about that transition from that into the second book. But the first book is a classic book. If anyone haven't read that book, the, the the Wars of the Blood in My Veins, you need to check that out because this brother is, like, open and transparent transparent and vulnerable in this book, as well as that's the second book. But, yeah, just talk about that from that to the second book. This, my second book, uh, Don't Let My Tears Fool You, that was definitely, like, a um – a grown-up book that it that was the best word to describe it. it was vulnerability um i after the first book and then all that i had went through with brick city and and getting locked up for that and beating that trial and then a few years had passed by i had i had grown a lot in that time bro and um i've never been like a church guy but i definitely gained a higher level of spirituality and a lot of times we get that through you know, having our backs against the walls. You know, I've, I've always been an advocate and always spoke out against people who condemn and criticize people who find religion, religion, spirituality, God, whatever you believe in went through, you know, incarceration. At the end of the day, I don't care where you find them. I don't care where you find them. If, if you find a level of spirituality, most times it comes in your darkest moments in your life. And, 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 I, and I'm, I, I can speak for that for myself. And that book was just really about that. When I say don't let my tears fool you, um, I'm really speaking um, of my tears and my tattoos, but also literally tears. Like um, I'm a man and I I hurt, I feel, I have emotions just like everybody else. It's just through the neighborhood and how we grow up. We learn the mask that mess. You know, we learn to, like I think you just said, it's kind of forbidden. I mean, when I was growing up, you couldn't just like, my homies couldn't just like, be emotional around me like you know you know getting your ass beat for that or you know what i'm saying get you know what i mean it wasn't something you felt comfortable doing and as i was getting older bro i'll be honest with you i just started to realize that a lot of the stuff that we was learning and i got put on the neighborhood very young early and i just realized a lot of the stuff that we learned growing up man it, it was garbage it wasn't anything that was necessary outside of the ghetto and yeah. I had moved out of North after that, and I had started experiencing new things and really in tune with my family and opportunities in the world. And, and I just started seeing life differently. And I started making a connection that a lot of the rules and the regulations that I was bound by, that shit didn't, it didn't work outside the ghetto. Yeah. And I found myself getting in more trouble. Like I literally was getting in more trouble when I moved out of North than it was when I was living in North. And, you know, I just, I've always been, I've always been that way. Like I've always been a very vocal leader. Um, I've always been the type of guy to go against the grain and, you know, cause I'm not afraid to go against the grain. I teach my son that daily, never be afraid to go against the grain. And, and by that, I just meant that once you learn what's right, the hell with how many people still going, doing wrong, have big enough shoulders and be brave enough to take what comes with that, but so that you can stand on your square and know that what you're doing is right. And, and just a lot of things that I had learned growing up, I just knew 
I, I didn't believe in them anymore. And I felt like I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about teaching. I'm a teacher by nature. Um, I watch movies with the kids at home and a great message or something. I pause and that, that pause can turn into an hour discussion. I'm that type of guy. I don't miss many moments to teach. And I just felt like, you know, there's power in the written word. And I wanted to kind of express that through my story. Um, and I felt the only way to really touch people is to be absolutely vulnerable. You know, it, it wasn't the time to write in a, in a way where it's like still trying to be hard. Because regardless of what you put on paper, you are still who the hell you are. So, you know, my, my focus at that point was really what you said, vulnerability. And through that, I think that I was able to tell a story and from my point of view and my thought process to really engage people and really connect with people. And I love how you say you like you stay in your square because that's important too, because that's who you are. And the most important thing too is that you may lose friends, but at the same time, you have peace of mind. You well, there's no money in the world that can kind of take the place of peace of mind. Well, you know what? You 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 hit that on the head because you definitely lose friends. And when I say lose friends, not in a traditional form of like, hey, we're not friends no more. You lose friends through you know, I learned when you when you change your habits, especially for you when you gangbang and the things that was important to me, the things that I were into, I did slowly start pulling away from those things. You know what I'm saying? I started spending more time at home. Um the energy change. That's when I say when you know you lose friends, it's not that no one just says, Hey bro, we're not friends no more because the way your new life or how you're it's the energy, is it's you start to sever ties, you start to go different ways. Um in your just your actions and and i would i'm the first person to attest to the fact when you decide to change your life and you start taking those steps to changing you will lose relationships and that's that's fact and talking about a man with energy my brother boy he looks like he has a question boy you there brother sure um john when you when you said when you first moved on out and you realized that the ways that you were used to living didn't inside the kettle didn't apply to outside did, it, did you find yourself feeling uncomfortable living outside because it was a new way of life that you didn't, you didn't know how to navigate so easily i still feel that way now boy i still feel that way you know a lot of the principles and and, and rules and structure that i grew up with i actually still live with by it today um of course, many of them I no longer live by. The thoughts may still be there, but like just my day to day life, I've scrapped a lot of that stuff. But there's quite a few that I still take with me and just how I deal with people. Um, and I like just living out here. I call it the civilian world. Like I do. I feel like a damn fish out of water. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just a lot of my beliefs and the way I deal with people, the respect. Um, um, how you communicate with people, just little minor things that I know, at least coming from where I'm from, if this, if had you ever tried this, this would not go well. And out here in the civilian world, it's really like no rules. Like, you know, the average man you live here, they don't come from a, a structured, organized gang. They don't come from a place where you had to answer the things and check in for certain things, a certain way you had to conduct yourself, a certain do's and don'ts. It's really just like live how we want to live. And, and, and it's up to the, another person even if you don't like a way a person is operating 
you know, it's not your place to impose your will on somebody. You know, that's how it is out here in the free world. Like, okay, I don't like what this guy's doing. I don't like how he's he's talking to me. Typically, I just want to put your teeth down your damn throat. Out here, that's not the way to handle it. You have to tap in and you have to learn to deal and have a thick enough skin to 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 either remove yourself, exercise a certain level of restraint, and that's the way things are done out here. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I definitely still feel very much uncomfortable um, in, in a lot of the things that I see. Um, of course, nothing that would make me want to go back to the ghetto or, or to be back in that that life, but it's definitely taken a lot of relearning how mm-hmm. to communicate with people. How tempting was it to go back because you understood that space a whole lot better? I, w- I, I would go, I, even to this day, I, I go home quite a bit. You know, I go home only because I just feel like even through all the bad that I've been through, bro, in a ghetto, there's a certain love that, like, like I miss, I miss home. I just don't miss the death. I don't miss the, the, the depression yeah. that sets in when I go back home to North. I go home quite a bit, and a lot of times I go home because I do miss being around that love around my 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 partners, and just being in the ghetto. You know, there's a certain love and a bond that is created through struggle. Mm-hmm. And if you've never been down and out, if you've never been poor, and living in poverty. You wouldn't understand like why would you want to go back there and it's through those moments of growing up that i probably still have had some of the best times in my life to this day it's almost similar to what the military does when they put you through basic training and take everything away from you and it's miserable but those bonds you build by other people going through basic training with you at the same time for the first time in your life having everything taken which is probably you probably would have I'm fairly certain you would have thrived in that environment because that would have been another day on the block for you, understanding that concept of life. Uh, but you have others that get thrown in it that have never experienced it. And it, it strips them of everything, strips them down and strips them to their hide. And then they find up learning that that was some of the best times of their life because the bonds you built struggling uh, together. It, you, can't, you can't manufacture those. Uh, unless you're going through them. Correct. Same as being deployed. That's, that's true. And then well, something also that you can't manufacture is the blog that you did in 2013, A Daughter's Redemption. Like that was like girl dad before girl dad became a part of our daily conversation. I'm going to read an insert. My daughter has made the darkness in my heart shine brighter than I ever could imagine. She gave me a reason to wake up each morning. I can't thank my Lord enough for blessing me with such a beautiful child. Take me back to that, brother. His daughter, she's uh, 17 now. And prior to having her, I wouldn't have known the power that a child can possess. Um, I was still active when my daughter was born in 2004 um and i don't know bro something just switched i mean you know prior to her being born i mean my my focus and my energy was just always in the street always in the neighborhood always hanging out with the homies and hitting corners and going after hours and you know trying to catch some fools slipping and just being reckless and when she was born and you know I guess every father has a different experience when they have a child. For me to have her, um, it was something that just, it was like a pull on me. It's like, 
today, I just ain't wanna hang out today. I just didn't wanna, I wanted to be in there and having her lay on my damn chest. I wanted to, and I don't, that's as far as I can explain it, bro. That it's something, it was just a pull on me. And through that pull and then getting to be around her and being a first time father, it opened me up to being vulnerable. It opened me up to being, you know, because I had to, even my, my, my wife, she, you know, had to kind of tone how I acted around her down. You know, I, I didn't want to be loud. I didn't want to cuss. I didn't want, you know, to, I, I had to be a little more gentle. And through the weeks and then weeks turned into months and then to the years of being that way, it kind of just helped me develop into a, a more softer person dealing with a child. And, and a lot of times we we forget that part of us when you're in the neighborhood. It's just like, there's no time for that, man. It's just like, you gotta stay hard in your yard and you can't show no moments of weakness. And I think it's the most ridiculous thing in the world outside of the neighborhood because we don't have to live like that. Now in the ghetto, yes, it, it's necessary. Because having those moments of compassion and just, you know, overly friendly, man, that, that could be your life. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, that's why I referenced earlier, outside of the neighborhood is a lot of that stuff. It just it, it hurts your present day life and it doesn't allow you to grow. It's like you in a shell and it's just like you, you block your emotions off from things when you should be feeling things. So for her, she did that for me as a first time father. That's amazing, man. And then also, I call your kids like the Avengers, man. You're like the Samuel Jackson in Avengers because <laughs> your kids are, are just extraordinary <laughs> in what they do. But like, just talk about that relationship we, you, you have with your kids, man. You, I'm, I'm going to go on a record and say this. I've actually gotten offended in the past by someone making reference to they wouldn't have believed type of father that I am. Wow. And I got really? offended. I got highly offended by it because looking at my exterior, you know, how I talk and just, you know, my get out, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm still a kid. I'm still a guy from the ghetto, man. I, 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 I my boots is on the ground. I, I'm, I'm not no square, but I live better, but I, I prefer the, str I prefer the struggle. I prefer that, that energy. And this person who said it is, it's like, if you just look at my exterior and, and then if you look into my past and all that you can come up with, it was almost like they were amazed to then get a sneak peek into how I actually live my life today with my children. I'm very hands-on. I play around with tuna. I box with my daughters. I take them out. We go on nature walks. We like, I'm the shit when it comes to being a dad, bro. I'm just going to keep it funky with you. As hard as I gang bang on the street, I bang even harder as a daddy. And I guess for whatever this individual just couldn't fathom the idea that a guy who had my history, my past, looked like me, could be that kind of father. And I had to give him some real game. I had to let him know that, you know, uh, a lot of us that come from the neighborhood, when we understand and learn how we do that shit hard, you know what I'm saying? Like, we 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 love hard, we, we, def we fight hard, we defend you hard, we'll go to war for you. You know, that mentality of hustling in the street, man, and you put that same mentality in a damn board meeting, man. We'll, we'll run circles around a lot of these guys that spent a lot of years in, in colleges, man. We, we just don't, we just don't, 
a lot of times get to those tables or know how to transfer that energy into something productive for us. So we just get thrown away. But, you know, I, I daddy hard. You know what I'm saying? And I, I love it. And, and you do, bro, especially with your, your relationship with your son, man. You guys are just like, I love the energy and the stuff that you guys post on um, uh, uh, IG, that relationship, that bond, man. Just talk about that, man. Well, that's my little homie. The little general. Yeah, that's my young general right there. Um, and he's, he's, he's a second me. He's like, you know, he's, he's a two second. And, you know, I, I, I stand behind this quote, you know, when people talk about living through your children, um, I live through mine. And uh, I'm unapologetic about it because I've jacked up a lot in my life and I've made some terrible mistakes. I grew up really foul. I missed out on a lot of things. And it's like in life, how often do we get a chance to really go back in our past and do anything over? We don't. However, my kid allows me, that is the closest thing that I have in the world to actually doing something over. And I feel like society has turned that into such a negative thing when they speak on living through your child. You know, I think the negative connotation behind that, like in my mind, I think when, you know, a kid is being forced to do things that just their passion doesn't align with, they do not like it, but it's something that you want. So you drag them through this. But that's not the only way to live through your child. There's healthy ways to live through your child and you never really get to see that that ain't that side of it spoken on so i just overcompensate with my son you know everything that i do with him i didn't get done with me and i overcompensate with that um whether it's a void whether it's a, at the end of the day he benefits from it so if that's what it need if that's what i need to do to f fill certain voids in my life then so damn well be it it keeps me out of jail keeps me from knocking you upside your damn head and taking your shit you know what I'm saying? And people forget that people, yeah. you know, you when people feel hopeless and people feel like they don't have much inside and, and, and they, they have a lot of regrets, then who are you to ever play with what that thing is that gives them that replacement? It's not your place to ever tamper with that. So this whole don't live to your kid. You just get to do you and I raise you as an adult is BS. Yeah, it's BS, bro. And the fact that he loves what we do. He loves the, the life that we live and the avenue that I'm walking us down is like a win-win situation for me. And a lot of times I think I've come to realize most people who talk like that, they're jealous. That's right. They're insecure. They don't have a child that is doing what he's doing. They don't even have a relationship with their child like that. So it's so easy to try to tear down someone else that's living a way that you can't. That's, and, that's... And, and, and that's why I do it even more. I do it even more. And I see boys smile. I love boys smile. He's just smiling. <laughs> you got a question, brother? <laughs> I, you know, I think what he hit on the head is that you never hear somebody dogging you who's doing more than you. It's people who are always doing less. And I think that what they do is they make the assumption because maybe they don't have that relationship with their child like you just said child that they couldn't imagine their child living the lifestyle that your that your prince is living so they imagine if that was forced on my child he would 
crazy and fight back. So his child is going crazy and fighting back, but not being heard. And they probably don't stop before they decide to critique you. The first thing, does the child is the child happy? Yeah. And that's the first clip because they're all they're doing, they're projecting it all, and they're not stopping to think. Everything is what you're doing to live through him instead of the very first question is your child happy yeah. and if they don't ask them and they're just in their noise and in their world their life for their child may be great that's their purpose but their 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 purpose becomes your noise I, I understand that and that, that, that's so true and so impactful. Um, before we um, end this amazing conversation, brother, um, a question that I posed to Sean that was on, Sean Porter, that was on the podcast last year. Uh, I'm gonna put this out there. When it comes to legacy, the Morris legacy, it starts with you. You are the legacy of the Morris family. So what does the 2L mean to you, love and legacy? legacy mean to me yeah um i guess i'll start with love um i think love is if i would define it bro can't hear you brother support through good and bad um loyalty and the type of loyalty that even if it you know wanting was best for you you know a lot of people wanting was best for you i think that that speaks a big case to what love is for me just just wanting you to be all right you know what I'm saying? I'm willing to be there and supportive of you. Um, legacy. I just think that's just what you instill. And, you know, for me, my legacy is what I've instilled in my children. I have a 10 point pack that we live by in this family that my children have memorized and they know whether I'm there or not. This is something that I want them to live the rest of their lives with. And that's the legacy. That's what legacy mean to me. It's something that can be carried on even out of your presence. Um, that That's what I would define it as. Bro, that's powerful. I see you as this tree and the kids are those branches. And that's the best way I can kind of have an imagery of what I see you as, brother, is that's what you are. And they're just growing to do their own thing, but you're you still that structure, you still that tree, man. And bro, man, I appreciate you jumping on with us, man. Man, it's just it was an amazing conversation. Boy, thank you for jumping on with me. Do you have any last words, brother? I was thinking, like, if I if someone, I always say that we we use different words at times to describe the same things, and so the first thing that popped in my head. When you asked John to describe love, the first thing that popped in was if I had to give a definite, that thing that kept pulling me to stay home with my daughter on my chest. Like, I don't know what 
how to describe it. It was that fort. That's what love that hold me away from the thing that I had traditionally done and loved more than anything else in this world until she came. And that's when I learned what love is because it pulled me away. That force, that's what I guess is what it loves, like a force. And that's what I was thinking because I was just imagining her laying on, on your chest um, and you being the happiest man alive, no other place you'd rather be than when she was on your chest at that time. And you thought that there was other places that were the happiest place in your life you'd be until you had that moment on your chest. And that for me is what I thought of love. And I can't wait to experience that one day myself. That's powerful. On that note, that was beautiful, boy. Again, brother, brothers, brothers, thank you for joining on. Please like, subscribe, follow the page, man. I do great things here, man. And we are out. Wait, can you put badges on so I can see his face? <laughs>